Hi, friends, it's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. So excited to be with you each and every Saturday, and thanks for telling Telling your friends and your family, you're all honorary orthopedic surgeons in my life, because you can use some Clapper Vision. People will look at you going, Clapper Vision? What the hell is that? Oh, that's a way of describing all kinds of things in life, but especially how your body works. Really? That's right. Rafael Nadal. Had to exit Wimbledon. Are you kidding? Broke his heart. Couldn't believe he couldn't play. There he is at the microphone. I tore my abdominal muscle. No one has any idea. He doesn't even have an idea of what he's talking about. But you do. Because tearing your abdominal, that six-pack muscle, the rectus abdominis, and then the transverse abdominis, the internal, external oblique muscles, those core muscles, is a clapper vision. Take that beautiful shirt you're going to use to go to synagogue, temple, church, and tuck it in. Tuck it into your pants. You got your belt on through all the loops, but you're tucking your shirt in behind that belt. Well, when you tuck your shirt in, the shirt is behind that horizontal structure. That's the belt. Those abdominal muscles, those core muscles, the rectus abdominis, the transverse abdominis, the internal, external obliques, those muscles that keep your guts in your belly, they tuck in behind the horizontal bone of the pubic ramus bone of your pelvis. They literally are tucked in. You look under the microscope, that's what you'll see. So what's a core muscle tear? It's ripping the shirt right from behind the back of the belt it's like pulling your shirt out from being tucked in that's what happened to Rafael Nadal and his surgeon is in essence going to tuck his shirt back into his pants that's the surgery the core muscle surgery the famous sports hernia where else are you going to hear that the world of art the world of sports and the world of surgery coming together in clapper vision so when I knew my guest today at 8.15, a world-class Ph.D. who makes the sutures that I use in surgery for 33 years, 16,000 surgeries, some of those stitches I want to last forever. When I repair tendons and muscles, you want them to stay there forever, those stitches. But the other stitches, you don't. You want them to go away. And it made me think, fading away, melting away. Where in the world of art do we see absorbable stitches? Well, in this woman. Strange you never knew. It's a foreign substance to stitch. Strange, you never knew. You didn't reject it, your body. It absorbs, it fades into you. I think it's strange, you never knew. Who is this woman? Who is this band? This is Mazzy Star, their song from 1994. They never had another hit, but they didn't care. This is Hope Sandoval and David Roback being interviewed, talking about we didn't try to write music to blow the roof off the building. We didn't do it to appeal to the critics. We did it to absorb into your heart, into your mind, and then go away. We don't mind being a one-hit wonder. Our music is about us 
It's for us. We're not interested in translating it for you. I think it, it is pretty difficult for us to do promotional stuff. We're sort of introverted people. So it, it is pretty difficult. I like to sing, but it can be a problem because when you're it automatically makes you the, the front person for the band, even though you might not want that, even though your, your partner is just as responsible for everything. But, it, yeah, it, everybody seems to focus on the singer. Yeah, she doesn't like that recognition. She doesn't want to be focused on. They just want to make music for themselves and fade away, fade into you. We've had bad reviews, too. Um, I mean, of course, you know, when anybody gets insulted in any kind of way, you know, it affects you. So, in that sense, yeah, you know, it does affect us, but... I don't think we take it too seriously, yeah. but, you know, because that's not really who we, you know, we're not making music for the critics, and um, it's not very really ultimately very important to us whether they like it or not she's making music she's writing those lyrics and wants them to disappear this is very different how could you be an introvert and still take the microphone and stand on the stage what a paradox it's awesome because in life you need both things you need things that will last forever and things that will disappear. Where in the world of sports do we see this struggle to last forever versus disappear? Well, in September of 1965, Vince Scully did something that stuck in Ron Howard's head and all of our heads and lasted forever. The opposite of fade into you. A stitch that will remain forever in your body and not be rejected. Listen to Ron Howard, the Oscar-winning director, child actor, talk about Vin Scully calling the Sandy Koufax perfect game. Vin Scully's call of Sandy Koufax's perfect game is a particular kind of work of... Uh... Of, of genius. One and two, the count to Chris Krug. It is 9.41 p.m. on September the 9th. He sort of improvised this idea of using the clock, which is a classic thing. The time on the scoreboard is 9.44. The date, September the 9th, 1965. And Kofax working on veteran Harvey Keen. Wow. The minutes. Not just the date. The minutes as each minute ticks by. Vin Scully was telling us that something historical, something remarkable, something worthy of noting and remembering was very likely unfolding. And he, he told us by making it significant enough to tell you what time it was, play after play. It was great showmanship and great storytelling. It is 9.46 p.m., one strike away. All these years later, look at all that Ron Howard has done with his life. He's going to remember that moment in time because of the trick that Vin Scully came up with in calling that game in a time, 1965, when games were not recorded for posterity. Vin Scully knew this moment would disappear, would fade away. But if he keeps telling you the minute and the date, it's going to last forever. I missed the last two innings for some reason. I did things I've never done before. My hat was flying off, and that's never happened before. And I was just throwing as hard as I could. And I was throwing it where I wanted to, which was kind of amazing. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. Koufax set down all 27 Cubs batters to face him, his fourth no-hitter in four consecutive seasons. 
It was a great moment for Koufax and the Dodgers in baseball, but it was, as a fan, you know, something I treasured and still do. Still do. Thinks about it forever. Clayton Kershaw last night. They're already talking about Sandy Koufax' perfect game, but we all remember it. It's saved for posterity forever because of the trick that Vin Scully did. Some stitches got to stay forever. Some have to fade away. I know Hope Sandoval did not write lyrics about absorbable stitches. But I can convince you that maybe she did. The lyrics of this song from 1994, I want to hold the hand inside you. Yeah, inside your body. I got to hold the two ends together. That's the absorbable stitch. I want to take the breath that's true. Yeah, you're breathing. I'm working on a living body. I'm not working on a two-by-four or building a brick wall. I'm working on your body that breathes. I look to you and I see nothing. Yeah, you make an incision. If you don't know your anatomy, you don't know what you're looking at. Remember what Dr. Ranawat said, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. You better know what you're looking at. I look to you to see the truth. I look at whoever it is, whether you believe in God or not, something else made our bodies. It's not like a car where page 28 you can look and read about the spark plugs or the piston rings. There's no owner's manual for the body. Something else made our body, and I work on that body. When she says, I look to you to see the truth, that's exactly right. Here is Hope Sandoval. Live in 1994 when this song came out. I want to hold the hand inside you. I want to take the breath that's true. I look to you and I see nothing. I look to you when I see nothing. It's a deep incision. Truth, nature, our bodies. You live your life, you go in shadows. It's a deep, dark hole I'm working in. There's no light in there. You'll come apart if I don't use those stitches. That wound will open up. I need the light to be able to see inside that deep wound, that deep hole. Colors your eyes and what's not The eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Absorbable stitches need to fade into you. Fade into you. And they better not get rejected by the body. Strange. They're strange. How could your body accept it and not know that it's something foreign? But they get absorbed. They fade into you. I think it's strange you never knew. You have to think. You have to think about making these, stu- these sutures, these stitches not seem different to the body so that the body doesn't reject it like a wooden splinter. These are foreign materials. How do you get the body to not reject them? Well, coming up next is a man who's going to explain to us how exactly that happens. Absorbable versus non-absorbable stitches. I cannot wait to talk to him. The great John Collier coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, 
Priceline. Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Mason in Ireland back Monday at 1 on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Soon to be a major motion picture. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Without a good hip, you ain't hopping, that's for sure. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, good memories. Good job, Wilbert. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. John Collier from Ethicon Sutures. John, thanks so much for being with us this morning and getting up early. Appreciate it. Hello, Dr. Capper. Thank you, Capper. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. How crazy is this to compare absorbable and non-absorbable sutures to Sandy Koufax and Hope Sandoval <laughs> of Maisie Tsar? How do you, what do you think of this whole idea? Which, about absorbable and non-absorbable sutures? Yeah, I mean, think yeah, about it. She's writing about... I mean, she doesn't even know it. She's writing about absorbable sutures. <laughs> yeah, the development of absorbable sutures is pretty amazing. You know, just the the, uh, the the foreign body with the non-absorbable. I mean, there's there's a need for the foreign for the uh, non-absorbable suture, but you know, when you don't need that suture sticking around, um, you know, why have it? Why have it stay in the body? So when she says in this song, and let's listen to it again. Okay. It's going away. Strange you never knew. How does the body not see it as being foreign? It fades into you. It absorbs. I think it's strange. You never knew. That is the world. That's your lab, John Collier. That's where you spend all this time thinking. I think it's strange you never knew. You're thinking about how do you make it not see it as foreign. So teach us. How the hell do you do that? Well, it, it, it comes down to the polymer chemistry. So the the way the sutures um, react, they basically it's – people say they dissolve, but they really don't dissolve. It's called hydrolyzation where – you have these polymers that when the moisture in your body starts to attack, it gets throughout the, throughout the polymer change. It just starts to break it down over time. And different sutures have different um, longevities, if you will, where you have to hold, you know, the, the tissue's got to be held together for a certain amount of time. And we try to design the sutures around uh, the minimum amount of time that you really need to hold that suture together. Hmm. How did or you... hold the tissue. I'm sorry. Hold the tissue together. Sorry. So tell us a little bit about you, John Collier. Where did you grow up? What your father do for a living? And how the hell did you end up being a suture engineer, an expert in figuring out how to literally fool the body into thinking it's not a foreign substance that I'm using to sew someone up? So um, I come from a family of six. Um, my father was a businessman and... I was a fifth boy, fifth boy of six children. Wow. My two oldest brothers are, are actually surgeons. One's a, uh, an orthopedic surgeon. The other's a vascular surgeon. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. And when I went to, I uh, understand we went to the same school together. So at the same time. Columbia. Uh, Columbia. I went to Columbia University. I was a pre-med student. And after taking physics, I fell in love with physics. And um, being that two brothers were a very competitive family, my two brothers you know, were surgeons. I um I decided to switch over to engineering, and then went on and got my PhD in um in metallurgical engineering. So, what years and, uh, were you at Colum- You were at Columbia as an undergrad. Correct, correct. Oh so, from 19, 1978 to nineteen eighty nine, uh, I got my bachelor's, two bachelor's degrees, a master's, and my doctorate in engineering. Did you sit on the steps of Low Library eating a? Roast beef uh, hero from Mama Joy's. Mama Joy's, yes, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! And did you eat yeah, the yeah. eggplant pizza at V and T's? V and T's, yep, yep, definitely <laughs> got that big pizza. I didn't get the eggplant. I always got it plain or with uh, mushrooms or 
I think it's still there too. I think it's still. It is, still but there. and the oven that is the still there, but it does still yeah. it doesn't nothing. It does doesn't taste the same. But I've been back yeah. to see it. But that's amazing. Good <laughs> for you. I'm gonna actually. Well, I can talk to you for hours about being at Columbia. It was incredible. Yeah. But you were in the engineering school, mm-hmm. right? You were not in the college. Right. Well, well, no, I was in the college at first. So I was. Uh, I I entered Columbia College in 1978. And then um, I changed over to the three two program, which is uh, three years in the college, and then the final two years in the engineering school. So after in 1982, I got my bachelor of arts, and then in 83, I got my bachelor of science, and then moved on with um, in the engineering school. Wow, I was there. We literally bumped into yeah. each other because I graduated the college in 1979, and you were a freshman in 1978. So I could have been sitting next to to you. Isn't that amazing? Out of the heavens, God would say, look (laughs) at you two guys. And I'm not saying hello. I don't know you. I'm eating my sandwich on the my roast beef hero on the steps. And there you are. And if an angel came down and said, these two guys are going to be on the radio together on a Saturday morning in 2022, talking about orthopedic surgery and sutures. You go, are you crazy? You can't handle the truth, just like Jack Nicholson said. But you know what? Here we are doing it, and it was actually true what the angel would have said to us in 1978. That's just amazing. Wow. Well, And you were in Fernald Hall, I think, right? I lived lived first in Carmen Hall with two lunatic football players who uh, were a disaster. Then I lived in Hartley Hall, which isn't even called Hartley Hall anymore because someone made a bigger donation, so they changed the name of the building. That's how that works. Then I lived in John J. Hall my junior year, and my senior year I lived in Fernald Hall. And I, with my buddy Jack Garden, amongst the many things I did, I was the cartoonist for the daily newspaper my freshman year until I got thrown off the newspaper. Yep, the spectator. But I actually ran with Jack Garden the Fernal Folk Fest, right? So all these Which is an amazing time, yep. Yeah, all these Love kids, it. you know, thought that they could play music, and I was kind of like the producer of Fernal Folk Fest. And you know, one after another would go, "Sure, you're good. Okay, you can be Thursday night. You could be Friday night. Whatever it is." And then this one girl sits down in front of me on the stool <laughs> with her acoustic guitar. Did I ever tell you? Did I tell you this already? She sits you did, but you can tell the audience. <laughs> she sits down with the acoustic guitar, and she starts singing, and I'm going, oh, my God. It's like everybody else is awful compared to this girl, Suzanne Vega. She was a Barnard yeah. student. I said, okay, you definitely can be in the Fernal Folk Fest. She was in 1979, the Fernal <laughs> Folk Fest, my senior year. It was unbelievable. All right, John Collier, this is just fascinating to me. Uh, did you – did it kind of like backdoor its way, but did you – how did stitches and sutures really light your fire? Of all the things you could do as an engineer, as a biomedical engineer, how did this come about that you chose this path? You know, it's, it's really around helping people. And, you know, I was pre-med and, you know, always loved the medical field, always loved helping, you know, helping people. And, and uh, when the opportunity arose, you know, I, I, I came into Ethicon on the front end, what we call the front end of the suture. So I came in on the needle side of the suture, hmm. which is, uh, you've already spoken to Frank, Frank Tahaki, and right. learned a lot about the needles. But, um, you know, eventually I, um, I took over the, um, the, uh, our antibacterial plus suture line of uh, sutures, the R&D efforts around that. Hmm. And so that led to you discovering more and more of the polymers. So these are synthetic chemicals that you can talk to our body and understand how our body would treat these certain chemicals. And on the other hand, you also then have to spend the other half of your life figuring out, wait a minute, I now have to make a polymer that the body, with its own best efforts, can never disintegrate, correct? Correct, correct. And the the thing around the absorbable suture, it's one thing for the the material just to go away, to absorb into the body, but... You know, there's certain functional characteristics that you have to hit, and that and that's where the scientists, you know, the, in our group are just amazing. Um, you know, the first suture that that was launched was Vicryl, you know, our Vicryl suture that, you know, first the synthetic absorbable suture that we launched was our Vicryl suture back in 1974. Wow. You know, and and it was designed to to hold the tissue together for a certain amount of time and then absorb after that. Mm-hmm. So the, the the key part is, you know, it can be absorbable suture, but it needs it needs to do its job. So it needs to be there for a certain amount of time and to hold the tissue together. 
And that's really where the, the criticality and, and just, you know, the expertise of a polymer scientist in the group are just, you know, like I said, it's amazing. Is the person who dreamed up Vicryl still alive? <laughs> you got me on that one, you know, with um, with Frank Jahaki when you asked if I was still alive. Yeah. It wasn't uh, you. You weren't. No, you were still in college. I'm, I'm, well, but when you asked Frank about whether I was still alive, it became a joke at, at work where they're kind of kidding around, hey, he's still alive. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think that the person who, who dev- actually developed the Michael suture is still around. So, um, Was it one guy wrong. or was it a committee? Wrong. It's most likely a number of people. So I don't I don't have the history of Vicryl, of who, you know, the development of, of the Vicryl suture. It was well before me. Hmm. Uh, and, but and, but we've made we've made we've made improvements over the years with, with um, you know with that suture in particular. And Vicryl, correct me if I'm wrong, because and I've used it a million times, is a braided suture, right? Correct, correct. It's, so, it's the most well-known suture in the world, and it's, yes, it's a braided suture. Uh, when it first came out in 1974, it was uncoated, so you know the you know the importance of a coated suture, correct? For no, tissue, I want you to teach the audience the difference between okay. monofilament. Braided? Why would one be necessary or desired versus not? Okay, so the Vicryl suture was the first uh, that we developed in 1974, and it was uncoated. It's a braided suture, so you have with the braid versus a monofilament, you have kind of the suppleness of a of a braid. It, it's it doesn't have the memory that a, that a monofilament suture would have. Hmm. The problem is that you know, uncoated when you're when you're pulling the suture through the tissue, you get some drag, some some trauma on the tissue. Mm. So in 1979, we 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 developed the first, we developed the coated uh, vicryl suture, mm. and the the importance of that was it reduced tissue drag, the trauma, as well as it, it made it easier for surgeons to tie the knockdown. Mm. Um, and then after that, we started developing monofilament sutures. So the difference between the monofilament and the braid. Like I said, the braid is more supple. It doesn't have the memory. It's easier to tie down. The monofilament ha- is just a single strand. It, it, you have less tissue drag through, you know, through the body. Um, it's, it does have memory. The, the downside, it has some, you know, it does have some memory to it. It's a little more difficult to, to tie the knot down. Um, teach us a little bit about my favorite word in tying knots and sewing up people after I finish their surgery. What exactly spitting a stitch is? Because Vicryl was notorious. It was the first, so it gets a lot of credit for being the first. But one of the problems I had as a surgeon, and we all did, was the whole idea of Vicryl and and, and spitting a stitch. What does that mean? It's subcutaneous suturing, right? Yes. Uh, So the spitting is, so the the way these sutures break down, the moisture gets in, the water gets into the suture itself. It, it goes totally throughout the suture, and it starts to break the polymer change down. So you, you'll get some pieces of, of the suture that actually the body wants to, to get foreign bodies out of the body, so it'll start to force its way up through, you know, through the skin. Mm. So that's what's considered suture spitting. You, you get these little pieces that may stick out on the, um, in your skin. Which can secondarily get infected. They become red. They start to ooze. And you can actually ruin a beautiful operation if the body decides. And it may be also, it's not only the engineer's fault, the surgeon. Some people, they'll tie 10 knots to hold, you know, hey, after the third or fourth knot, it's enough already. But they'll make a big, bulky mass. The surgeon will. And that's a big mass of something foreign. And the body sees it as a wooden splinter. It starts to try to reject it. And that's a problem. You really need to... Uh, avoid that and feel comfortable that after the third knot that you're tying, when you tie the two uh, ends together, it's enough. You should stop. But some people don't. They just keep going, and they create too much of a foreign mess for the body to have yeah, to absorb. And, and the monofilaments typically are larger, not, they call them knot towers, but they typically have a larger knot tower than something that would be a braided suture. But absolutely right. Yeah, they want to make absolutely sure that that, that suture is holding so they'll throw extra knots in there hmm. and teach us a little bit about the different how many different sutures does ethicon make oh, um well suture families i think there's oh boy over 15 or so suture families but when you really get down to the different types and the different needle codes there are thousands and thousands of different needle codes whether 
whether the, the diameter of the suture, the length of the suture, um, the needle type that's used. Um, you know, we, we make thousands of sutures, and, and basically you make enough suture, I think, to reach the moon every year. So, wow. you know, that's how much suture we produce every year. Yeah. Wow. And did it truly start with cat gut? The first, the first absorbable suture was cat gut. Yeah, and that was, I think, around 1600 BC, if I recall. Um, so the first, the first synthetic absorbable suture was around 1930. It was actually a polyvinyl alcohol. But then the polyglactin suture, the Vicryl suture, came out in the 1970s. So I, I'm so old that I, when I was in medical school at Columbia and I finished in 83, there was still a surgeon that I worked with who only still wanted to use silk sutures because that's what he trained on. I can't imagine anything worse than putting on, as a foreign body on the body. But it, it was called silk. Was it really made from silkworms? Yes. Oh yeah. It's silk, silk is silkworms. Uh, you know, cat gut is from intestine. And, um, yeah, the, the surgeons still use it as a cheap suture. Uh, but you're right. There's foreign body reaction to it, and uh, it and people. Some people think it's it, it's a non-absorbable suture, but it actually does break down over time. Hmm. And what are you using? Or do, like your time? Well, what is a John Collier day like? Do you spend half your day talking about absorbable sutures and the other half non-absorbable? Could you even break it down? Well, I I lead the um, the the antibacterial suture lines, so the Vicroplus, Monoclopus, PDS Plus. So, so I lead a group of engineers and scientists who uh, are constantly looking to improve our antibacterial sutures. Mm. And um, so that, that in itself is just a heck of a lot of fun. You know, I, I love, you know, I'm an associate director and, and, you know, part of my job is administrative, but I, you know, is all that they'll tell you. I love the technical side. I love digging deep into the technology and kind of always asking the question, why? You know, it's, mm. it's um, how do we improve, how do we, uh, you know, improve patient outcomes and, you know, things like that. So I'm good friends with a, know. with a very forward thinking cardiologist named Frank Litvak and Frank, um, I'm not, and it's related to what I'm about to ask you. He, he's so smart. He figured out that when they put a stent in your heart, uh, it's a spring loaded device that you put it in nice and skinny and then you press the button and it springs open and that's what opens the blood vessel in your heart that's a stent um but mm -hmm. frank came up with the idea of well if it's a spring there's holes a spring has spaces let's put in the spaces drugs so he came up with the idea of drug eluding stents so it doesn't just mechanically open the collapsed vessel so that your heart has more blood flow but it also has drugs that can come out that help you with blood flow and all the rest of it. When you yeah, so deal with your absorbable yeah. stitches, the braiding stitch, do you ever take advantage of the fact that there's spaces in the stitches that you can put antimicrobial medicine so that it doesn't get infected? Yeah, those are our plus sutures. And, um, you know, our Vicro Plus suture, we have it in the coating. The, uh, we use a, an antiseptic in the coating. And, um, you know, the whole, the whole premise is, to your point about foreign body and the body, you know, getting infected, or these foreign bodies getting infected, it's, it's, you know, the foreign body is one of the risk factors for surgical site infection. So the intent was to inhibit colonization, bacterial colonization on the suture and, and address one of those risk factors. Wow. That's awesome. I can only imagine all yeah. I'm doing. Uh, this whole conversation is blah, blah, blah about sutures to me. But all I can think about is Thanksgiving at the Collier house with your mother bringing this giant turkey out to the table and six of these kids with their husbands and wives and kids. How many people are sitting at Thanksgiving at the Collier house? That's what I want to know. <laughs> well, it used to be a real big event. So, yeah, we used to have we used to have. <laughs> 15, 18 people sitting around the table. Yeah, we had to have two tables. And how many turkeys? And Your mother's making how many turkeys at Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, one big one. One big one with a lot of, <laughs> lot of vegetables, yeah. <laughs> a lot of side dishes. Unbelievable. Yeah, a lot of side dishes. Did your mom work or she just, not, her, not just, but her job was to raise the kids or did she work also? At first, at first she was raising the kids and then 
when we got older, she, uh, she started working, uh, one of my father's, uh, companies. He had, he also had a travel agency. So she went and was working there. Wow. Are they both still alive? Uh, my mother is. How old is she? 93 years old, 93 and a half and reads, reads a book a week and amazing. She's an amazing woman. Let me tell you something. Forget about you, John Collier. The person I really want to talk to one day is your mother. What's her name? Eileen. That woman raising doctors, engineers. Your name is Collier, but she, tell her she's a Jewish mother. She made every one of those kids go to school and get A's and everything. God forbid you brought back a B. She probably looked at you funny. Go, what happened to the other five points, right? Yeah. Well, I think I think um, by the time the fifth child came along, I think a little bit they got a little calmer on, on that. But yeah. <laughs> Listen, we're all very proud of you. You work behind the scenes, John Collier. You and your whole crew. But I got to tell you, as a surgeon, yeah. maybe your brothers tell you this as well. We couldn't do what we do without you behind the scenes. And really, God bless you for all that you do for us. You're the quiet ones in the closet, if you will, that nobody ever talks about or sees. But I think about you every time I throw a knot, putting someone back together again. So thank you for making time today to be with us and for allowing me to showcase people like you, John Collier, who really do the dirty work behind the scenes to make us all in front look good. I really can't thank you enough. Well, thank you. It's a, it's really a team effort, and you know, I'm just I'm just fortunate to have a team that's really really passionate about what we do. Well, I can we tell. Just love, we really love our jobs. So. We we can thank hear you. the passion in your voice, John Collier. <laughs> and thanks so much. I can't wait to talk to the next person at Ethicon and ask them if John Collier is still alive. <laughs> <laughs> now we know he is. Throw a name. I was going to throw a name out in the, out there, throw him under the bus. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> he, he knows what I'm talking about. All right, young man. Thanks so <laughs> well, much thank for making you very the time. Much. All right. Keep in touch. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right, Warriors, coming up next. The lines are all lit up. We'll do some clap revision with the Weekend Warriors. I can't wait. And i got to remind you about fading away and not fading away. A blueberry muffin where the blueberries are so gigantic they pop in your mouth because you want them to stay forever as a blueberry versus the blueberry glazed donut where you can't find a single blueberry but the taste blows your head off. I'll tell you where that place is. Coming up next, the number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Roberto Clapperio, a fish tacologist. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I know the ins and outs of a fish taco. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The great boy George and Culture Club. Singing about time. That's what we're talking about today. Either making a legacy or just fading away. Mazzy Star, fade into you versus Vin Scully. And Sandy Koufax's perfect game, giving us the date and the time. Love it. All right, let's. the lines are all lit up. Let's do some clap revision. Let's go to Linda and Costa Mesa. You're on with Dr. Clapper. Thanks for hanging on the line so long. Well, thank you, Dr. Clapper, for doing what you do. Oh, my I, pleasure. I, now, how young are you? What do you do for a living? And Gene Crawford always says every female caller, they ain't listening during the week. They're just listening to the Weekend Warrior Show. Is that true? Uh, that's true. I'm ah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's called a P1 um, listener. Linda, you're a P1 listener. Love it. Okay. I'm a 74-year-old young person. Love it. And I have a knee situation. What did you do for I, a living? I'm retired. I was a teacher. Oh, wow. What grade? What did you teach? I taught third grade and first grade mostly and a student facilitator and loved oh. it. Oh. And where did you grow up? What your father and mother do for a living? Uh, my father, I grew up in Texas, South Texas. My father was a farmer and owned a restaurant. My mother worked in a dress store, and that was hard-working folks. Farmer. Wow. So let me get this straight. Your father never took a day off and never went on a vacation. Is that true? Uh, Basically, no. We took one vacation a year. (laughs) Sort of, kind of. That was it. But you're right. Eight days a week he worked. Oh, my God. And did he love it? 
He loved it. He never complained about anything. He was a great man. How how many years did he live? He only lived 68 years. Oh, what did he yeah. pass away from? He had rheumatic fever in the Navy and had a medical discharge, so his heart got him. Oh. Now, the farm, like, you had animals or just crops? Uh, we had crops and animals. We had cows, and I had a horse. Wow. And uh, he raised, had a little orchard and raised you know, all the vegetables and all that good stuff. Okay, what's the worst story you can tell me about a snake? Uh, I was bitten by a rattlesnake. There you go. Thank you very much. (laughs) Tell me how that happened. How old were you, and how did that happen? I was old enough to know better, and I was holding it, Cleopatra, and uh, she slipped. She was supposed to have no little poison sack, according to the people that owned her. And she bit me, and luckily we were near an emergency room, a hospital, and they drove me over there, and I was only in the hospital in the ICU for a few days. People ask me, why, why would you not live in Texas? The answer is because of the snakes. That's why. I have no interest in going to live in Texas for that reason. That's all I hear yep. about. In my head, Texas equals snakes. Thank you very much. And look at you. You're playing with a snake and it bit you. What a shock. Oy, oy, oy. All right, young lady, you are special because the greatest thing you can do with your life in this society, in my opinion, is teach. And this is what you did. So it is really my honor and pleasure to help you with your knee. So tell me a little bit about what's going on. Well, I was at happy hour on the floor and I was going to get up to go to the kitchen to do something, getting on your knee, and I felt a burning sensation. Got up got whatever I was getting, came back. Everything was fine until, I don't know, maybe weeks later or whatever. And my knee just started hurting a little bit. Mm. And it's kind of gotten progressively worse. And this was like months and months ago. And so So, I have no idea. To me, you have to hurt something for it to be broken. Yep, you're a farmer's daughter. So have you gotten an MRI of this knee? No, I have not. I, I am out of town, so I'm out of my insurance range. I did go to a sports chiropractor, and he said, I have a T-band problem. Okay, Okay. so forget about this mumbo-jumbo. I want you to do me a favor, Linda, because I owe this to you, all right? You are going to need to figure out how 74, Medicare, HMO, I don't care what it is. You just tell them you got a second opinion because this broken system is going to fight with you. But you need first an X-ray, and you'll need an MRI of your knee. And I'm going to tell you this. If these people give you a hard time, I'm going to tell you that you can call my office. Not that I'm here to solicit patients, but if they give you too much pushback, because I was going to say, get the MRI, have the report in front of you, and you'll call here next Saturday. Wilbur will move you to the front of the list, and I'll tell you what's going on and what to do with your knee if you want. That's hoping that you can figure out how to get these characters in your life, the the mafia insurance company to get you an MRI. But I don't need people with x-ray vision who have no x-ray vision telling you what's the matter. You are not, you're the last person to complain about anything. So if something is causing your ITB to hurt, the question is, why is the ITB hurting? Not that they made a diagnosis that your ITB is hurting, but there's a reason for it. And the best way to figure that out is to look in your knee without surgery. So you need an x-ray, you need an MRI, and please do not let them give you cortisone shots or any needles into your knee. You need a diagnosis, and then I can tell you what to do with your knee. And I would love to do that, all right? So if they give you a hard time, then you're going to call my office, and you're going to tell Arnie I said it's okay, and I will take care of this and see you myself. How's that? That sounds good to me. All right, young lady. So see if you can get it done, and then you can call next Saturday if you have a hard time then you're going to call my office and you're going to come see me and I have to figure it out, all right? Okay. All Sounds right, young great. lady. Now, listen, you're a total stranger. I never met you. You today, go find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. All right, Linda? You got it. I'll do that. All right, young lady. A pleasure to meet you over the phone on the radio. Love it. All right, Warriors, we're going to take a break. Hang on the line. The lines are lit up. Can't believe we got one more segment, Wilbur, and it's over. Another Saturday. Bites the dust. Gee. All right, you're listening to the Weekend Warriors Show. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Thank God. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper 
and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Poobah, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Talk about hypnotic and haunting. God, it's just awesome to hear Hope Sandoval sing Mazzy Star and the lyrics. All right, with last segment, we got a call. Abo, you're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hey, what's up, Doc? Not much. How are you? What's up? Pretty good, pretty good. First time listening to your show? Yeah. As I work with you every day in the the OR. Oh, thank you for calling in. I love it. Gotta give you a, give my my favorite doctor a shout out. Oh, thank you for calling in and listening and telling all your friends and keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you Wednesday. Right. See you, Doc. Okay, young man. Thanks so much for calling. You know, I don't do it alone. Either at the radio station, in my office, or in the operating room. And it's nice to know people are surrounding me, keeping me on the straight and narrow. I love it. And speaking of that, next week. Next week. My guest is going to be my favorite foot and ankle surgeon at Cedars. And the reason I'm having Tim Charlton come on is because this week has been a devastating week for my teachers. The men, there's women, but it happens to be three men who passed away. And one of them was old. Okay, he's allowed. But two of them were not that much older than me. But they were old enough to be there to guide me and teach me when I was still in my training in New York at special surgery. The great Norman Johansson, cannot believe it. Russ Windsor, I mean, I I can close my eyes and I can just hear him teaching me how to use a, a footstool on the floor and him telling me, listen, you're going to want to be able to do a knee arthroscopy without anybody helping you because it'll be hard to have an assistant. So I'm going to show you how to do a meniscus surgery by yourself. And he said, Take, you're going to use a footstool on the floor, like a step. And you put your foot up on the step, my own foot, so my knee is bent. And I put the patient's foot and ankle in my groin and use my body to open up the joint so I can get way in the back of the knee to do complicated surgery in a really tight spot. Well, Russ Windsor taught me that, and I remember him doing that. And he died this week in a tragic bicycle accident. So I'm thinking of him, Norman Johansson. And next week's show is going to be about another man who was really important in my life as a young orthopedic surgeon first learning, and his name was Bill Hamilton. And Bill Hamilton created the whole world of ballet dancers and their injuries, unique to dancers. And Tim Charlton, like me, was blessed to be taught by him. So what's it like having a mentor? What's it like having a person in your life bestow upon you that knowledge in art, in sports, in surgery. And that's what I want to talk about next week. I want to talk about the legacy of William Hamilton with one of his other students, Tim Charlton, and I will speak as well. But I thought about it, and I've already started to do the research for the sound bites. Well, in art, Billy Joel, remember Piano Man and all the great hits that, so many hits, he's, he's Billy Joel. Wait till you hear Billy Joel talk about his high school music teacher. And he wasn't really his teacher. Billy Joel was busy cutting school. He didn't want to go to class. He didn't want to go to math or science. He's just not cut out for it. So he would sneak away in his high school and found a piano. And he would go there and spend all day. He's supposed to be in class. He wasn't in class. He was at the piano. And one day the music teacher shows up and says, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in class. And basically took Billy Joel under his wing and encouraged him and said, you should be a professional musician. And you're going to hear Billy Joel 
Talk about all those years later, that music teacher and how he changed his life and gave him permission to pursue the life. And we all benefit because we all benefit from listening to Billy Joel and his music. The power of a mentor. And we all need them. We don't get this far in life without somebody stopping what they're doing and just helping you. It's rare. You want to really appreciate it and recognize it. And that's what I want to do next week. Well, what about in sports? Who's really the stem cell, the mentor, the teacher? I I always gravitate to Hakeem Olajuwon. Go, what? Yeah. The greatest basketball trivia question is, when Michael Jordan was coming out of North Carolina to the NBA draft, he's Michael Jordan. Was he chosen first in the draft? The answer is no. He was not. You know who was number one in the draft? Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem Olajuwon, the footwork that he had as a big man, as a center, second to none. And I took care of Will Chamberlain. I know what big men are like, and he had amazing footwork as well. But still, there's nobody who comes close to being that big and that agile as Hakeem Olajuwon. And to listen to centers like Shaquille O'Neal, or any tall basketball players. I'm not talking about what you learn as a point guard from Hakeem Olajuwon. You don't learn anything. But if you're a big man, you need to learn that skyhook from Kareem, but you also need to appreciate exactly what Hakeem did. And that's what I want to talk about next week, mentorship. In the case of Hakeem Footwork, Billy Joel and his music teacher from high school, And don't forget food. So where is absorbable and non-absorbable in the world of food, that blueberry muffin? Have it, a bite of the blueberry muffin. At the same time, now take a bite of a blueberry glazed donut. Same place. That's right, good time donuts. Tell Sue I sent you in Ventura. You'll see the difference between absorbable and non-absorbable in the world of food. Until next Saturday. I leave you with volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying, which is what we do each and every Saturday. And until Saturday, next Saturday, I'll see you on the radio.